Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Shabbat Shalom. Boker Tov. So, <clears throat> this portion is, as you're aware, it's the end of the book of Bereshit, Genesis. <clears throat> it's also the end of the life of Yaakov, whose name was changed to Yisrael. And <clears throat> this portion is full of stuff, even just the one-third that we read. There's any number of topics that we could study, probably almost infinite based on the Hebrew text, but, you know, just based on the surface of the text, there are a number of topics that we could have addressed today. So I'm going to stick to three, and they seem to overlap a little bit. Um, That's the oneness of God seen by Yaakov, the charge to the children, before he passes away. And obedience to God is an expression of love. So those are the three things we're going to talk about today. So let's look at the oneness of God as seen by Yaakov. As you know, before he dies, Yaakov, he gets sick. He calls all his sons. And he begins to recount his life in brief. Speaks about God this way. El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz. El Shaddai, most of you know, means God Almighty. And he says, he appeared to me at Luz. El Shaddai appeared to me at Luz. However, if we go and read the account of the encounter that Yaakov had with El Shaddai at Luz. God didn't didn't call himself El Shaddai there. That event is the famed Jacob's Ladder event where he sees a, a stairway coming down out of heaven, a spiral staircase coming down out of heaven. And after we get that description, it says, and you know, messengers going up and down on the ladder, on the stairway. It says, and behold... Yahweh stood beside him and said, I am Yahweh Elohim of Abraham, your father. Ani or Anochi, I don't, I don't remember. I'm not, I don't have the Hebrew in front of me, but Anochi Yahweh Elohecha, Elohe Abraham, Elohi Yitzchak. I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. And at the, after, the rest of that event is described. It says, and he called, Jacob called the name of that place Beit El, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. So I'm, I'm, I'm establishing here that it is the event that Jacob was talking about in our portion, right? This is in Genesis chapter 28, where we're reading about this. There is no mention of El Shaddai there. <clears throat> so Yaakov knew who he was speaking to when God said, Yahweh, the Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Yitzhak. Are you with me? God didn't have to communicate to Israel, to Jacob, who he was in every way that he, by every name that he is known by. Are you with me? Someone was visibly standing there beside Yaakov, And that someone was Yahweh because he calls himself that and he also calls himself God. So fast forward a whole bunch of years and Yaakov, the same man who saw that vision, is on his deathbed and he says, El Shaddai blessed me at Luz. And then Yaakov starts his blessing by blessing Yosef 
in his two sons that we do every week. All right? And Yaakov had just adopted those boys and set them up in the same station as the brothers of their father. Right? And after that it says, The Elohim, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Yitzchak did walk, the Elohim who has been my shepherd all my life. So this is Jacob blessing the two boys. The Elohim before whom my fathers Abraham and Yitzchak did walk, the Elohim who has been my shepherd, there's another thing that he's calling him here, all my life long unto this day, the Malach who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. God, the shepherd, the messenger. Do you get what I'm driving at? We all know that God the Father was always on his throne, was on his throne when he visited these guys. He did, did so by extending himself in that messenger. He put his name in that messenger as well. That messenger had so much authority that when that messenger appeared to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob and called himself El Shaddai, he wasn't blaspheming. He was God Almighty in an angelic body. Are you with me? So our Jewish people who say that, the, that God doesn't share his throne with another haven't reconciled the fact that even the messenger that they read about in the Torah is God. Am I right? Yaakov named one entity as his shepherd, as Yahweh, as Elohim, as El Shaddai, and as a Malach, a messenger. One entity, one being. We understand this to be, at this point in history, the Malach Yahweh, the messenger of Yah, the angel of the Lord, it gets translated into the English. We know who it is. And we know, you guys better know, that that messenger no longer manifest like that anymore because the Word of God became flesh. And that messenger is also the manifestation of the Word of God. And so what was manifesting as this messenger now has permanently manifested to the whole world in the human body of Yeshua the Messiah while God is still sitting on His throne. And that is the big issue in the believing community is the identity of Yeshua and either the absence of God or the bastardization of God. And that's not a bad word. Are you with me? Where they reduce God's character or totally do away with him and replace him with a Jesus that is not going to kick his father off his throne. One entity, one being. Jacob knew his name because after that Luz event, it says down in, in 2816, surely. So he has this event and God appeared to him in the vision and said, Anochi Yahweh Elohei Abraham, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham. God said that to him in the dream, right? And he is so cognizant of it when he wakes up that he says, surely Yahweh is in this place and I did not know it. And he names the place Beit El. The house of God. Our Jewish people are told by the rabbis that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the sons of Israel did not know the name of God. Anybody ever heard that? They say they, they didn't know it. You grew up hearing that, didn't you? I saw a quasi-messianic rabbi, and I say that because his understanding of who Yeshua is is not right. But he calls himself a messianic person, and he calls himself a rabbi. Say on Facebook, trust the rabbis. They're scholarly. They're brilliant. They've, they've been in custody of the Torah for 4,000 years. Did you see that? But they tell our Jewish people that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 sons, none of them knew his name. And of course, we understand also that they tell us not to say it. 
And we're supposed to believe them because of their academically gymnastic presentations. They're lofty. Their, their logic is difficult to follow, and it's, it's, it's very sophisticated, and it makes them sound like they have authority, and we're just supposed to accept it. And here we see that Yaakov himself said, surely Yahweh is in this place. I, I'm sorry, I can't unsee that. And I can't yield to the rabbis, and I do respect them. I respect their intelligence. I respect them as Jewish people. But I don't respect the fact that I'm reading this verse and they're telling me it doesn't say what it says. I don't respect that. And what it reminded me of this morning, I saw it in an image. In my, you, you guys know how my mind works. I see images and I saw, remember the price is right? Remember the showcase at the end? And you always have that one low-end, crappy showcase that nobody wants. But the beautiful woman is still there going, <laughs> doing all these wonderful tricks to make this showcase just look as appealing as possible. And that's what the rabbis remind me of. They put on a good show. And it's no wonder that people are, are leaving the truth in droves. Moshe wrote these words that we're reading, and he meant for us to know that Yaakov, Jacob, Israel, the man Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, knew the name of Yahweh and said it. And if it's okay for Yaakov to say it, it's okay for us. They all understood who they were looking at. This, show, this verse that I read, the two sets of verses that I read from Jacob, confessing who had guarded him his whole life, show me that he understood who he was looking at when the messenger of Yahweh appeared in front of him. He understood that God was on his, th his throne, but he understood that the entity standing in front of him was the very representation of God as if God were standing there himself. He understood that. He called him El Shaddai. He called him God. He called him Ro'e, shepherd. He called him Yahweh, and he called him a messenger. And in that name, he charges his sons and blesses them. And he charges the next generation, and that's our next topic. In our portion, Yaakov is on his deathbed. The name of the portion, however, is Vayechi. And he lived but it's actually in the future tense, flipped by the, by the Vav, so you could look at it literally and say, and he will live. And I don't think that's a coincidence because the portion starts by naming the natural Yaakov. What I'm saying is in the text, when you're reading it, it says, and Jacob did or said, all right? But then it flips to using Yisrael, his spiritual name, and it says, Yisrael must die. And he called his son Yosef. So, Yisrael is the head of the nation. I'm sorry, Yosef is the head of the nation. He's the ruler of the most powerful nation, and he's being summoned by Yisrael, whose name means struggle or striving with God, also prince with God. And it says that he must die. And that's a, bear with me, this is a dim image I think of Yeshua because Yeshua did the same thing the night before he died. He charged his disciples, did he not? Israel knows he's dying, and he also knows he's going to live. So he prepares for the resurrection. He calls Yosef, who, by the way, his name means one who gathers. He will gather. He calls him, and he charges him. Do not bury me in Egypt. 
when I sleep with my fathers. Carry me out of Mitzrayim. Bury me in their burying place. And he gives this, this charge to Yosef. Kevartani bikfuratam. Bury me in their grave. Grave me in their grave. You Hebrew students understand that all Hebrew nouns come from Hebrew verbs, right? Kever is the verb here, bury. The noun is also kever, which is grave. Bury me, grave them, entomb them in my tomb is basically what he's saying. That's natural, that's earthly, that's bodily. He's talking about his physical body. Put my body in the tomb of my fathers. He said to them, carry me and bury me. He wanted his body to be with Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah, and Leah. Unfortunately, it couldn't be with uh, Rachel because she was buried in Bethlehem. Carry me and bury me is what he told them to do. And when he died, it says, let me make sure you're with me. The carry me, bury me part is before he dies. Then he blesses Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh, then all 12 sons. We get through the blessing of all 12 sons. This is in our portion next year and the year after. But at the end of, the, at the end of this, the very last verse of it, I think, is or toward the end, is 33, chapter 49, verse 33. And when Yaakov made an end of charging his sons, he gathered up his feet, and that's a, a play on Joseph's name as well. He gathered up his feet into the bed and expired and was gathered to his people. The reason I'm bringing this up is because when he started speaking, he said, don't bury him in Egypt when I sleep with my fathers. And a lot of people in the Messianic community and in the Christian community are saying that you don't go anywhere when you die, you sleep. And you go to the grave. And they use this verse as a proof. See, he's sleeping with his fathers, and they're in a grave. So he's gathered to his fathers in the grave. And here's the problem with that, because... He says, bury me with my fathers, and then he's in Egypt when he gathers his feet up in the bed, and he dies, and immediately says, he was gathered to his fathers, passively. It was done to him. Are you with me? He could not have gathered with his fathers if gathering with your fathers means being in the physical grave with them. He was gathered to Abraham's bosom. He was gathered to paradise. He's assembled in eternity waiting for the resurrection. And if we don't believe that, we who trust in Messiah are foolish. Because that's what he's told us. I go to prepare a place for you. Right? So his charge to the gatherer, which is Yosef, <clears throat> was that his body be placed with his family in anticipation of the resurrection. And Yosef himself gave a similar charge to his brothers and their children. He said, Yosef took an oath of Bnei Israel, saying, Elohim will surely remember you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Yaakov was carried out as a corpse, as a dead body that had been embalmed because he wanted to be put in the grave of his fathers. All right, Yosef is saying, I'm going to die here, 
and God's going to deliver you. He's going to bring you out from here and bring you back. Carry my bones up. Yosef did that because he loved Israel, his father. I'm talking about carried his body up. Because if you went ahead and read, that's exactly what he did. 40 days later, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't read it this year, but 40 days later, I think, is when they finally, it was a long time, longer than the normal mourning period. They, they followed the Egyptian mourning period. I think it was either 40 days or 90 days. I can't remember. But uh, he carried him. He did that, which was a big interruption of his life. He didn't want to do it, and Pharaoh said, do it. And he carried him out. Why? When, he, when it says that he gave charge to his sons, it's he commanded them. And Yosef did it because he loved him. Are you with me? Moshe did the same thing it, in honor Love will honor, if you love someone, you will honor them, right? So in honor of his fathers, and in honor to Joseph's request, 230 years later, Moshe takes millions of people off the path to where they're going to go get Joseph's bones. And then go back to where they were going. Love for family. Love for your heritage. A lot of children grow up and they end up despising their heritage. David, David, charges Shlomo in our Haftarah portion. He says on his deathbed, show yourself a man. Keep the charge of Yahweh, your Elohim, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his mitzvot and his ordinances, and his testimonies. My goodness, he's being thorough, isn't he? <laughs> According to that which is written in the Torah of Moses, lest there be any doubt, right? Did he say, according to the prophets around you, or according to the rabbis, the rabbinic community? No, according to that which is written in the testimony of Moshe, in the Torah of Moshe that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn yourself, that Yahweh may establish his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all your heart, with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail you a man on the throne of Yisrael. And Shlomo did it. And if you read on in the portion, Solomon was instructed to do some very hard things to do. David told him to kill certain people. Make sure that they were dead. Make sure that they knew that their offense against the king was remembered. Solomon did it. Not because he was bloodthirsty, because he loved his father. And his father gave him a charge. So he did it. He trusted his father's wisdom. The point is, obedience is love, and that's our last topic. Kepha writes and gives the readers of his letter a charge. And if you call on Ha'av, the father, who is impartial and who judges every man according to his works, conduct yourselves reverently during the time of your sojourning here. So, Kepha, Peter, is talking to a body of believers, and we're going to get to who they are in a minute. And he tells them, if you call on the father who is impartial and who judges every man according to his works. And this is an if-then statement, even though the then is not in the sentence. Are you with me? Sure. Then, so if you call on him, then conduct yourselves reverently 
during the time of your sojourning here. And that's what you and I are trying to do. That's all we're trying to do is learn how to conduct ourselves reverently. Everyone has works. Your Christian friends tell you you can't be saved by your works, and I'm like, hallelujah, you cannot. But you have works, and you rely on them just as much as I do. Otherwise, you wouldn't go to church on Sunday. You wouldn't pay your tithe. You wouldn't teach in Sunday school. You wouldn't be in the kids' ministry. You wouldn't sweep the floors of the church. You wouldn't do any of those things if you didn't have works. If you didn't think that God wanted you to do anything in the kingdom, then you wouldn't be doing those things. And here's how they trick themselves and us into their conversations they, by trying to equate what we're doing in the Torah or, or let me say, differentiate what we're doing in the Torah from what they're doing. They're just following a, a separate set of guidelines. That's all they're doing. And unfortunately, a lot of it is not from God. Particularly in regard to the feasts. <laughs> That's really... That and eating kosher. That's it. That's where we differ. Now you have the Messianic community who comes along, and unfortunately I've had to watch it transform over the last 30 years from inviting our Jewish people to Messiah and giving them the context of their own culture and heritage in which to worship Yeshua. That was the original purpose of the Messianic community. Does everybody agree? That's what it was. And I agree with that. All right? But it went from that to being, we can be more righteous than the Jewish people, we can be more righteous than the Christians, and we have to be. And if we're not, we're going to hell, we're not gods. And then it gets attached to identity. And they took the chapter that we read today and morphed it and twisted it to create a whole new doctrine about flesh. And then uh, I've watched over the last 30 years, people come along and do the same thing for another race. You know, you had the Britom people doing it first back in the 1920s, but they were so minor and, and small in number and had such a small impact, it just didn't, it didn't, it didn't go anywhere near the Messianic community. But then you had people coming into the Messianic community who got mad at the Jewish side of the community who broke away. A woman named Bacha Wooten was the one who made up the idea of Ephraim going off into the world and being and populating the world and, and anybody who believes in Yeshua is a tribe of Ephraim. And that's garbage. So all we're trying to do, what we are doing, let me say it this way, because we are doing it. I was thinking as, you know, because I, I messed up a little bit on the piano. I did a little better today, but uh, I messed up once in reading. I didn't point Jeb where he was supposed to go. <laughs> and we had a few blunders in here, right? We had a few blunders in here. And, I, and, and at some point, I don't remember when it was, but at some point, I thought, it's wonderful. Because we are, we are, God is not looking at that. God is looking at the fact that we are, when we walk in here, we are perfect. Not in and of ourselves. Perfected by the blood of Messiah. We have been, we have been set right before the king by the blood of Messiah. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to do better. And we are. We are striving to do better. We take on the mantle of righteousness and we want to present the image of Messiah to the world better and better and better. But that doesn't make us better righteously. Kepha went on and said this, knowing that you have not been redeemed from your empty works which you have received from your fathers. Let's set this right. He's writing to, to Gentiles about empty works. See, a lot of people read this and they think that's the Jewish stuff. But they don't realize who Peter's writing to. He's writing to Gentiles. Your fathers gave you empty works. They were pagans. 
but with the you aren't redeemed by corruptible silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb, without blemish, without spot, which is Mashiach, who truly was foreordained for this very purpose before the foundation of the world. There's the eternal nature of Yeshua. And was manifest in these last times for your sakes, who by him you trust in Elohim, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. If Yeshua is not standing at the right hand of God in a human body, we're lost. That your absolute trust and hope might rest on God, not on me, on God, not on my works, on God. My hope rests in Him, not on what I can do for Him. Let your souls be consecrated by obedience. Does it say, let your souls be made righteous by obedience? It does not. And I've tried to teach you guys this, you guys this and I tried to teach in our former days ad nauseum. We do the Torah for consecration. To set us apart and show our purpose to the rest of the world. It does not make us any more righteous than we were the day we were saved. I was saved at 11 years old and I ain't no more righteous now than I was then. In God's eyes. And if I am in the eyes of mankind, it is nothing compared to the righteousness of Messiah. Let your souls be consecrated by obedience to the truth and be filled with sincere love. And that's where too many people, especially in the Messianic community, you know, I was, I was a believer in the, in the traditional Christian community for 22 years. And I, during my waking up years, I'd say about eight years, so all the way to 30 years old, I was in the traditional believing community. And I ran into a few people that rubbed my rhubarb. But in the Messianic community, I have been abused. I've never been done wrong like I've been done wrong by supposed believers. I've worked with pagans my whole career. And they never did to me what these so-called believers did. It's the truth. Because their love was not sincere. Their obedience was not for consecration. Their obedience was for self-righteousness. That's what it was. Sincere love, that you may love one another with pure and perfect hearts. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, which is men's commentary on the Word of God, but of incorruptible seed, His Davar Hachai, His living Word. Yeshua is the Word in flesh. It's alive. The Torah is alive. It's not death like the Christian community teaches. It's life. The Torah, His Word, abides forever. Abides forever. Now, you guys know this, but for the sake of someone who might be watching, the Christian community teaches that the Torah is abolished. This verse says that the Word of God is alive and will live forever. This is Second, First uh, Peter. One, twenty-three. Yeshua is the embodiment of the Word of God, and so He is going to speak God's Word for eternity because God said it's going to live forever. Peter said it's going to live forever. Are you with me? That includes Genesis through Deuteronomy. If that's not true, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to in, uh, instruct and ask and, and cordially ask my Christian friends to tear Genesis to Malachi out of their Bible. You don't need it. That's good. If it's abolished, you don't need it. Get rid of it. Just buy you a New Testament. Live off of that. Don't quote the rest of the book. 
Hallelujah. Peter, in this passage, is speaking to Goyim, Gentiles, even though he is the Shaliach, the apostle, the sent one to the Jews. In the first chapter, first verse, it says, Kepha, a Shaliach, an apostle of Yeshua HaMashiach, to the chosen ones and sojourners scattered throughout Pontos, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through Kiddush of Haruach, through the sanctification of the Ruach. You have been chosen to be obedient. You have been chosen to be obedient and to sprinkle the blood of Adonai Yeshua HaMashiach. So in that passage were Jews and Gentiles because he is writing to chosen people in those provinces that he addresses. And most of those, I'm familiar with, let me look. Yeah, I'm familiar with most of these. They're, most of them are in that central Mesopotamian region. Right outside to the east of Israel and north. Almost wrapping around the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. And all the way over probably into what we would call Iran today. That's the region he's writing to. And there were Jews and Gentiles there that would receive his letter. Because back then, guess what? Jews and Gentiles fellowship together on Shabbat. I dare anybody to try to prove that wrong. But in the first century, Peter and the believers were assembling Gentiles over here and Jews over here. As a matter of fact, Peter tried to do that. And Paul chewed him out publicly for trying to do that. And Peter submitted. And later sang Paul's praises. He addresses them all as chosen and sojourners and says they are all chosen by the foreknowledge of God. Go back just a few weeks to the drosh that I did about that concept. That's that other foul doctrine that a lot of people teach about predestination. They don't understand it, that it is because of God's foreknowledge that he does, that he sets life up for the people that would receive him. He chose those people to be obedient. Not to just be, I believe in Jesus and I'm good. I don't even have to go to church. I can worship God out on my fishing boat. And I've seen that a million times. Yes, you can worship him out there on that fishing boat. Absolutely. And if I were out there fishing by myself, I'd probably worship God too. But that is not, that does not excuse me from assembling with his people. It's the New Testament that says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as some are inclined to do. He chose us to be obedient. Our Christian friends do not see keeping Torah as an act of obedience out of love alone. And the reason that they don't is because too many who claim to walk the Torah do not do so as an act of love for God alone. They don't. They do it to be more righteous. They do it to appear righteous to mankind. They, unfortunately for us, portray that being messianic is legalistic because a lot of messianic people are legalistic. And that's a battle that we're going to fight. We've, I've, I, I'm convinced we've had people come in here and hear me say things like this and it rubs their rhubarb and they don't come back because they want to be more righteous and they think they can. And I'm quite happy that they're not here, to be frank. Because that's arrogance. And I'm sick of arrogant people. Religious Jews are legalistic. 
Messianic. Some are legalistic. Hebrew roots. Most are legalistic. Two house. Ultra legalistic. And all of that detracts from the power of the blood of Messiah. All of it does. They use the Torah as a bludgeon. They use the sword of the Spirit against people who confess Yeshua. David understood this. I will not touch God's anointed. Shaul was a bad king. He was self-righteous. He practiced witchcraft. He wanted the glory. He was envious of David. He was a bad king. But David also understood he was still anointed by God. And you don't know that someone that confesses and calls on Jesus, you don't know whether or not he's anointed by God because we ain't that smart sometimes. Now, there are people out there in the Messianic community who will say they can't be saved because they call him Jesus. Another big fat lie. And the point that I'm making is Hasatan has the religious community, and I'm talking about Jews, all of the people that I've already mentioned, Jews, Messianic Jews, Two House, all of them, in all of these doctrinal disputes online. And Satan is like King Edward sitting back up there watching the battle, watching England destroy Scotland and laughing at it. Do you realize the English and the Scots are kindred, kindred people? <laughs> and, and King Edward is sitting there laughing at, at the dying that's going on so that he can be king over it all. That's, the same, that's what Satan is doing. And he's watching God's people tear at each other instead of going out to save the lost. And they don't realize that they're doing it. They don't, people don't realize that they are wielding a very powerful sword against their brothers. Because, and Yeshua taught this, when you say negative things about your brother, you are committing murder. And I've been the victim of that. I, don't, I can't tell you how many times God has had to resurrect my soul because of people. And you've probably been a victim of it as well. And God had to knit you back together and resurrect you so that you could have joy. Right? And it was done by wielding the word of God, make, pointing at you and making you think that you're less than what you are. It's murder. It's, it's warfare of the body of Messiah against It's like Yeshua sitting there stabbing himself over his self-cutting. That's what, it's, that's what it is. We need to find ways to tell the world the beauty of keeping his word. And the way that we do it as Mikdash Mayat is to keep out of the fray. I don't get in those arguments. If I post something and someone wants to argue with me, I'm like, have fun trying to get me to take that bait. I'm not going to, homie, don't play that. If I can detect, if I think that they're sincere in a question, I'll engage them. But most of the time, you kind of know. We need to make certain that the only reason we're keeping his Torah is out of love for God. Not because we are afraid we'll go to hell if we don't. Not because we think we can make ourselves more righteous. Consecrated, yes. But you can't be any more righteous than you are today in the eyes of God. And that's what I want you to rejoice in going out of here is that you are as, as righteous as you can ever be when you said, save me, Yeshua. We need to walk a circumspect life for the glory of God. So that, the, the, so that God's name is not blasphemed among the heathens because we're acting like heathens. But it doesn't save us. 
here's the rub. I question certain people's salvation if they are trying to be more righteous in themselves. Are you with me? I'm not going to judge them. I can't say. Uh, one thing you, I hope you've learned about me, and I don't, I don't sit in Yeshua's seat of judgment. I do my best not to do that. I'm not going to say one way or the other whether or not a person is saved or not. All I can do is I might, and I have, I, and I have to at certain times say, I've seen things in this person's life that tell me something, but I can't make the final decision. Are you with me? Did that come out right? Kepha goes on and says, the one to whom you are coming is the living stone whom men have rejected, and yet he is chosen and precious with Elohim. You also, as living stones, build up yourselves and become spiritual sanctuaries. Mikdashim. And consecrated priests. He's telling this to believers and he's telling them, become, build up yourselves and become sanctuaries. I hope that when people come in here, since we call ourselves Mikdash Me'at, that they find the comfort in God that they're looking for. That they find protection from the darkness of this world. That's what I hope. That they don't come in here and end up Cut up because of a bunch of religious people. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to Elohim by Yeshua HaMashiach. In other words, we bring them to Yeshua and Yeshua presents them to God. As we were standing here today, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. I messed up one time reading in the Siddur, but it was... It was minor, but but what was happening, and I met when I messed up on the piano, and I, and I thought about all of this when we were doing one of our early prayers. I don't remember which one it was. If I saw it, I, it would trigger in my mind. But the problem is, I have an eight-track mind, and I'm on about three tracks all the time. And I gotta, I gotta, when I'm in here, I gotta stay on one track because I was actually editing, making sure that the, I was checking an edit while we were saying the prayer. I was, and I was okay, okay, which word is it? You know, I was look because I read the Hebrew and I had to look over in the transliteration. That's where I thought the error was. And so I stumbled a bit because I was looking for the word that I thought was wrong. And then at the end of the prayer, I finally found it. I'm still reading both and I'm back up in the transliteration looking for that word that I thought might have been misspelled. So that's what I deal with sometimes. But as we were standing here later in the prayers, when we got to the Messiah prayer, I don't know if everybody else had a sense of urgency about it, but I felt like I was standing before God's throne. My mind was focused, and I was literally repeating those words that we pray, that Isaiah, uh, that page 58, the Messiah prayer, standing there repeating those words, confessing before God our trust in Yeshua, who He is. He did this for us. He did that for us. He did. Do y'all like doing that prayer? It's a long one. But I felt like we were standing there say, repeating those words to God, and, it, and I thought about it. People that come in here, another thing that I thought about, this show you how many tracks I got in my mind. I worry over the transliteration sometimes because I've heard comments about it. And then I thought, and I worry about new people coming in and not understanding the words, and then I thought, we are not, we shouldn't alter our behavior for our guests, they will learn. A lot of it is intuitive, but they will learn. Some of it's not, but we teach and we offer resources for them to learn. All right. So all of this is going through my mind while I'm saying the prayers in the early part. But by that, by that page 58, that Messiah prayer, I was in the zone. And that's how I want to be when we start. And I'm working toward that because and, and it, the, the Torah service today felt like you guys were just in it, in celebrating the Messiah. 
as we watched the Torah being escorted around the room. Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, approved and precious. He who trusts on him shall not be ashamed. It is to you who trust, therefore, that this honor is given. But to those who are disobedient, he is a stumbling stone and a stone of offense. And they stumble over it because they are disobedient to the word for which they were appointed. Believers are appointed for the word of God. And they stumble over it because they don't do it. They listen to men who guide them away from the word of God. Using the word of God to guide them away from the word of God. But you are a chosen family, ministers in the kingdom, a holy people, an assembly redeemed to proclaim. This is the purpose. This is why we do what we do. To proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness to his marvelous light. That's why we keep the Torah. That's why we assemble. That's why we keep the Sabbath. To proclaim the one who has called us out of darkness into his light. That's why we are Mikdash Mayat. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.